Good morning. My name is uh, Dan Boss. If I haven't met you, um, I am uh, one of the leaders here and just recently ordained here as a pastor, and uh, it's been a blessing. Yeah, praise God. I'm excited to open God's Word with you uh, this morning, and uh, it's actually been a blessing for me. I guess I don't need to wear this other mic. It's kind of annoying. Um, been a blessing for me this week to, uh, to have studied God's Word um, on my own, and just, I was blessed by it, just listening to other sermons and reading articles about this theme of love. Um, it was a, a blessing for me to have, um, to have that focus this week. Um, my, my wife and my kids, uh, my wife Serena is um, not feeling great this morning, so she stayed home, but um, our kids and our family have been a part of uh, King's Cross Church for the last four and a half years and moved to San Diego for a job um, and quickly realized God had additional plans for us to be involved in this church plant. And um, it's been really cool to kind of witness God's hand um, working beyond what we were even aware of at the time uh, moving us here. So we are uh, blessed to be a part of this community. And uh, if you're anything like us, our house is full of Christmas cheer and uh, the Advent the Advent candle uh, thing is happening. The Advent calendars, our kids are opening the little things each day and getting the chocolate. Mostly just want the chocolate, don't care about the numbers or Advent. But we are in the countdown to Christmas, two weeks away. And, um, you know, I was thinking, I was, I was having a conversation with somebody this week about Advent and uh, the various kind of iterations of what that is in different churches. And, uh, you know, this week, we're, we're celebrating the, the theme of love, God's love, displayed in Christ. And there's other churches doing joy and <laughs> there's various other things. So Advent, you know, there's no scripture that says, this week you need to do love. Um, but, but the church throughout the centuries has kind of developed this as a practice to kind of use this season to center ourselves on really what we want to center ourselves on as, as believers, that that Christ is the focus of the season and not let our, our culture kind of hijack this uh, holiday from us. So hopefully it's been a, a rich thing for you. Um, it has been for me to kind of each week center myself around um, the aspects of Christ coming to us um, in this season. And uh, so today we're focused on the theme of love and namely God's love for us and the expression and the action of that love in Christ Jesus, coming to earth as a baby. So there's so much ground to cover with this idea of love that I want to spend some time looking at some um, different aspects of it. First, what is love in the context of the Christian faith and our understanding of it? I want to look at what our culture is saying about what love is and how we, how we navigate that as Christians. Um, and I want to show uh, and look at how God's love is incarnated in Christ. And finally, how we are called as Christians to live lives of love um, that we've received from God and live it out towards others. So as we get started um, and open, open the word, would you uh, bow your heads and pray with me? God, as we open your word today, I pray that you would speak, that you would speak to your people, that you would show us 
what it is that you are a God of love and that you would give us a right understanding of what this is. Lord, I pray in this season that we would uh, make room for you in our hearts, that we would not let um, the distractions and the busyness of this season um, overtake us and um, dictate how we think about um, what we're doing and celebrating. God, I pray that we would first look to you and to your word uh, for our, our understanding on love and our lives in you. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, um, we've been a, a, in the custom of, of standing as we read the word of God. So would you stand? I'm going to read this passage. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at 1 John 4. Uh, verses 7 through 12. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Hear this, the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's God's word for us today. You can go ahead and take a seat. So we see a lot, a lot of theology packed into these six verses about love, about Christ manifesting God's love, and about our responsibility as, as Christ followers to display this love in the world. So this morning I want to look at kind of three different points. The first being that God is love. What does that mean? Um, the second, God showing us his love through Christ. And the third, our call as uh, followers of Christ to love others. So looking at our first point, God is love. We hear that phrase a lot in our world and in the church. What does it actually mean? It says in verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Um, so if we rewind history, if we go back to the beginning of time before anything existed, before the earth was made, before the stars in the sky, before the universe was uh, created, what was there? There was love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Love of God in the Trinity has always existed. It has never not existed. John 17, uh, Jesus tells us a little bit about this. He, this is called the high priestly prayer that Christ prays. And he prays for his disciples and for his own life and the work that he would glorify the Father with his life. That he would accomplish and finish what he was called to do. And he comes in verse 5, uh, John 17, verse 5, says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Did you hear that? Before the world was made, before anything existed, before the stars and the universe had been created, what was there? It wasn't nothing. There was love. 
There was a love within the Trinity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And at his very essence, we can see that God, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is love. I love how John Piper um, kind of describes this. This idea that God at his very nature is love. He says, when we read uh, in John, in 1 John, that love is from God, he doesn't mean it's from him in the way letters are from a mailman or even letters are from a friend. He means that love is from God the way that heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light, and fire gives heat because it is heat. So love is not just something God gives, but it is something that he is. And because God is eternal and holy, omnipresent and omnipotent, his love cannot be measured or quantified. It's beyond anything we know on earth. Um, there's a hymn that, I don't know if we've actually sung it here. I was trying to remember if we've, if we've sung it here, but we need to. We're going to bring it back. Um, this hymn is called The Love of God. Um, and the verse that I want to read, hopefully you can see it there. Um, this verse is just an awesome kind of image for the expansiveness um, and unquantifiable kind of aspect of God's love. It says, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. It's beautiful. God is love, and I feel like in the church... And even in the world, we have a tendency to throw that phrase around quite a bit. And it's not that it isn't, it's not that it isn't true. It's just that our kind of full understanding of what that actually means in the context um, is needed to, to really grasp it. Especially when we live in a culture that has a, a very different idea of what love is. And that's thrown into the mix. So God is love. It doesn't mean that um, that's all God is. We see in Scripture... God is completely and fully many other things, too. He is spirit, says God is light, and God is a consuming fire. And that's referring to God as a, a consuming fire of judgment. Um, one commentator, Ray Van Nest, says um, that this phrase, God is love, it's a marvelous truth which is also often misconstrued. It does not mean that anything we might call love is approved by God. Love here is defined. It also does not reduce God to an emotion any more than the statement God is light in 1 John 1.5 reduces God to particles. This statement shows us that love is a fundamental aspect of God's nature. All that he does is ultimately loving. And God does have wrath, but he is love. So I want us to look at um, what is Christian love described and how it is different from the world's idea of love. If we look again at verses 7 through 8, uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 8, I think it's helpful just to clarify like, what's actually being said and what's not being said. John isn't saying that only Christians can be kind and loving and show love. 
Um, and when John says, whoever loves has been born of God, it doesn't mean that anyone who does a kind deed truly knows God, regardless of whether or not they believe in Jesus. That claim would be contradicted earlier in, the, in uh, 1 John 4. The love mentioned here is not mere niceness or kind deeds, but is distinctly Christian, a self-sacrificial love. Any genuine love that we see in the world is a gift of grace from God, and it's a reflection of God's holy and perfect love. We might catch glimmers of love, of God's love in this world when we see genuine self-sacrificing love but we can't assume that everything, every warm affection that we encounter is the same love that's being spoken of here um, in this verse. Okay, so one uh, quick side note. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the recent news. Uh, there's been a new archaeological find that has been uncovered. I'll just read this news brief. It says, in Rome, coming from Rome, the Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome near the end of his death long after uh, living a long life of, life of suffering, various prison conditions throughout his ministry, Christians have often wondered how Paul was able to make it through kept keeping the faith during those dark years. Now a new discovery has been found. Archaeologists have found a live, laugh, love sign that was posted in his cell during those dark and hard years. <laughs> Thank you, Babylon B. So this is not the love that we, we are talking about here. It's not, not mere sentimentality. If you have one of those signs in your house, sorry. Just, no, no problem at all. It's like, totally get it. Um, it's not just sentimentality or warm feelings for, for someone or something. It's not just a happy thought or feelings or even care for another person. It is, uh, it can at times be all of those things and we experience love in this world in various different contexts but God's love is something greater than these things or rather that it is all these things to their greatest and fullest extent C.S. Lewis in the way that he often does um, describes this for us in his old kind of English way he says, when we say that God loves us, it's not that he has some disinterested concern for our welfare, but that, in awful and surprising truth, we are the objects of his love. Not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way, not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate, nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests, but the consuming fire himself, the love that made the worlds, persistent as the artist's love for his work and despotic as a man's love for a dog, provident and venerable as the father's love for a child, jealous, exacting as love between the sexes. God's love for us is the fullness and the culmination of every other love that we experience in this life. God's love is greater than every human love because it is love in its fullest and most complete form. And it's a love that we were created for and to find our every desire fulfilled within. So I want to I look a little bit at, at the contrast between this love of God and the love that we find in our world and our culture. 
God's love is completely selfless and self-sacrificing. God, out of love, created us, and while we were yet sinners, sent Christ to rescue and redeem us. And, as, and, and we, as Christians, are called to model that love for those um, around us, all within the boundaries of God's law and covenant with us. I'm sure you've noticed a lot of signs in people's front yards, this secular creed um, that people are po- kind of posting in their front yard. It's being called the secular creed. Many things on that list, I think, yeah, that's, those are good things. I agree. But the one line in here that gives us a clue at our culture's view of love is that line, love is love, basically saying that every type of affection that we feel, in this case, romantic attraction toward any person, um, regardless of who they are, it has to be love. Basically, if we feel, if it feels right, it must be love, and therefore it must be right. Whole, there's a whole host of other issues here that we're not going to go into right now, but at its core, it's that we want to define love on our own terms, according to um, the desires and the feelings that we have. But any desire for complete autonomy and freedom in our love is really incompatible with the Christian definition of love. As Christians, we love within the context of God's law of love because our love originates from God. Uh, One commentator uh, says this, Our culture's definition many times is based on virtues like authenticity and self-actualization. But in reality, love is much more complex and deeper meaning. According to our culture, love has dissolved to meaning virtually anything and nothing at all. Love of friendship finds its fullness within the Christian community. Romantic love finds its fullness within the context of marriage. Love and charity for others finds its fullness within the context of loving your neighbor. Let's move on to the next section. So, God shows us his love through Christ. We read this in, in verses 9 and 10. We read it, John three sixteen when we were um, lighting the candle. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son, his only Son, into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. This is really what we, what we kind of want to celebrate in this season. God's love sent to us, um, poured out through Christ, um, being sent to the world. God's love is demonstrated by giving up of himself in Christ. There's really, you think about it, like, how can I show somebody the fullest extent of my love? It is to give up myself completely to that person, to die to that person. Giving my life for someone is the greatest gift there is. John 15, 13, Jesus says this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. For God to set aside his divinity for our humanity, to come into the dust and the dirt of this world, to enter into the human condition, all to save those who don't deserve it, while they are still sinning, is the greatest expression of love there has ever been. God's, not, uh, God's love is not just a thought or a sentiment. 
it has been explained, it has not just been explained to us as a concept, but we have witnessed it in action. And it's really the same for, for love even between us as people. Telling someone you love them is a huge deal. You know, Gabe and Anna. It's a big deal. But doing something to show that love uh, with your action is, is kind of a necessary part. If I tell my wife, Serena, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I don't do anything to show that love, it kind of doesn't mean much when I say I love you. So God's love is not at all like this. God's love is not only an emotion and in a concept, but um, it's also an action. His perfect love existed in the Trinity before all creation, but it was also sent in an action uh, through Christ. God's love is completely self-giving, self-sacrificing, and unconditional. And this is what we see in Christ Jesus. And God's love is different than ours because although we may desire a good thing for um, another person, um, like my kids, I want, I want the best for my kids. I want my kids to, to experience all that is good and right in their lives, but I can't necessarily ensure that or bring that about in their lives. I can't make that happen for them. But God's love actually has the power to bring about the best for everyone. God's love has the power to save and restore and redeem us and ultimately bring us into the fullness of life eternally with him. There's no other love that can do that. And God's love is personal. It's easy to think of God's love for the world in the grand, broad strokes of like general love for humanity. But although that is true, it's also deeply personal to us as his children. We see that um, in Galatians, Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The all-knowing and personal love that was between God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before anything else existed has been extended to us personally. Um, we read about this personal description of God's love in Jesus uh, when he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He's calling us with his love um, by our name. I love how C.S. Lewis kind of famously states this again. He says, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. And he goes on to give this um, analogy of a pearl diver. He says, one, thing, uh, one may think of a diver reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanishing, rushing down through the green and warm water into the black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color, into light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping and precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now that they have come back into the light, but down below, where it lay colorless in the dark, he lost his color too. Christ gave up his divinity 
and lived in human flesh that his saving love might be shown to us. All right, on the heels of that, I want to look at our kind of our third point here that we are called as followers of Christ to show that love that we've received to other people. Um, this passage kind of moves us into a concept of God being love into kind of an action that we are called to, to live that love out to others. It says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Basically, we, we want to take the example of Christ laying down his life for humanity, and that is our template for love, for loving one another. We strive to be like little Christs in this world, that God has sent us um, into the world to be a witness to his love, not to save because Christ has already done that, but to witness to his love. God is love, and God sent Christ Jesus, and we're united with Christ, and therefore we are on earth, his representatives, um, and a representation of God's love. Um, if we look at verse 11, it says that we ought to love each other. And, and John Piper kind of explains this really well. He says, he means ought the way a fish ought to swim in water, and birds ought to fly in the air, and living creatures ought to breathe, and peaches ought to be sweet, and lemons ought to be sour. And born-again people ought to love. It's who we are. This is not mere imitation. For the children of God, imitation becomes realization. We are re realizing who we are when we love. God's seed is in us, and God's spirit is in us, and God's nature is in us. God's love is being perfected in us. All right, well, that sounds lovely, but how do we, how do, we do this? How do we love one another? Um, we, we need to begin with the fact that we will love others best when we love God the most. We see this in Scripture as Jesus replies to the Pharisees. They're questioning him in, in Matthew 22, saying, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God first orients us to correctly loving others best. Our vertical relationship with God is fleshed out in our horizontal relationships with others. A pastor, Alex Duke, explains that it, it this way. He says, Oftentimes, God clarifies the vertical via the horizontal, using the horizontal imperatives like do this and this as a test for the presence of vertical realities. We're called to love others because we have been shown the love of God. And in loving others, it begins to show how well we are loving God. Uh, another pastor, John Bloom, explains it this way. How, are, um, how we love others, particularly other Christians, reveals how we love God. The Apostle John puts it bluntly, He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Our love for each other is an indicator of the place God is holding in our hearts. 
That's convicting. <laughs> convicting to me. So some practical steps for us to, to be um, good in loving one another. That we humbly rejoice in the goodness of others. That we, we see God working in their life and we rejoice in that. We tell them. And if, if you're anything like me, that's not always easy to do. Sometimes I feel in myself, if I'm honest, envious of other people's situation, and I don't want to rejoice. Um, but that's not what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to rejoice with others when we see good situations arise and we see good growth in the lives of others. And in seeing others, um, seeing the best in others, that's what we want to see. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Um, I've noticed in myself skepticism in other people and meet somebody new and, and assuming, um, for me, you know, assuming the best is not always easy to do, but that's what God is calling us to. We need to look to others and at others with the, with the eyes of Christ. And most practically, um, it's just showing others um, how um, how we need to, to kind of meet others' needs, even at times in great personal cost. We look, we look to Christ as his example to us of giving up of himself and, um, and being generous with what we have, knowing that all that we have is actually God, God's in the first place. And we hold loosely to what we have and look for ways to be generous. I, I was thinking about good ways for us to, to kind of put this into action. I think one thing that we have set up at our church is community groups. And I feel like every time I preach, I talk about how important community groups is because I just believe it so much. It's just, it's a great context for us to learn to love one another and to be loved. You need to be known to be loved. And um, you can't love people that you don't know. Um, so my encouragement to you, if you're not in a community group, open yourself up to that so that you might be loved and um, it's a, a great context in which we can uh, practice our love for one another. Well, as we, um, as we end, I want to quote um, Ray Van Ness one more time. He has this awesome kind of summary in how we need to think about our love for the world around us. He says, Even though a watching world cannot physically see God they can recognize the reality of God when they see his love perfected in us as we love one another. A local church which vigorously and diligently cares for, the, cares for and meets the needs of one another is the strongest demonstration of the truth of the gospel. Since this is so, we must labor for faithful, loving communities of faith if we want to see the gospel advance. So I want to exhort all of us to love well, inspired by the love of God in Christ, that this may be the only picture uh, the world sees of Christ in this Advent season. And to recognize the eternal and the perfect love of God that existed before anything was created. This love was made manifest in Christ as he came to earth as a baby. And in faith, we are united with Christ, even now, to represent him on earth by loving one another well. In the midst of the hustle and bustle of this season, I want to encourage you to make room for Christ. Don't let the season, the busyness, 
of celebrations and good things uh, overshadow and crowd out um, the love that you want to experience in Christ and show to the world around you. Um, Would you pray with me as we close? Lord Jesus, we want to be a people that love deeply, knowing that we have been loved to the fullest extent uh, by you. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would bring to mind people in our lives right now who we can be the light of Christ and the love of Christ too. Lord, people that um, you're calling us to love in this season. God, I pray that your, your love would be um, lived out in our lives. In our families, in our places of work, in every relationship, Lord, I pray that um, your love would be, be uh, made manifest in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your love that um, expands beyond all of our understanding. Would you be glorified in us, Jesus? In your name, amen.